Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of Shaman Cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back with Original vs. Remake again. We're, it's that time of the month again for Original vs. Remake. It goes so quick. It does. It does. Where's the time gone? So, this month we are going back to the 1940s and the 80s to discuss cat people. Meow. Yes. Thank you. That's what a cat sounds like, everyone. Um, so starting with the poll, you voted, you the wonderful people of Instagram voted 33% for 1942 and 67% for 1982, mm. which is good because that is my opinion too. That is the opposite to my opinion. Which we'll get to shortly. <laughs> Keep your cat claws in and stuff like that. No, you'll have to give your opinion. <laughs> I'm not allowed to give mine. No, I was just trying to use cat puns. Um, so, Cat People, released in 1942, was directed by Jacques Tourneur, the director of Night of the Demon, not the Linnea Quigley Night of the Demon, might I add. Uh, I Walked with a Zombie and Out of the Past. We own Out of the Past, don't we? We do. Have, the Robert Mitchum film. I don't believe we've seen it, have we? Not yet, no. Uh, this was released, uh, made on a $134,000 budget. Uh, it was in theatres for so long that critics who originally hated it got a chance to watch it again and uh, reanalyze uh, their thoughts and give it a better review. Good. So, I mean, you know, I mean, I might, I might do that one day. I don't hate it. I just, I just want to get it out there right now. I don't hate this film. Um, yeah. Four. You're allowed your opinion, it's fine. I don't know, you look like you're going to murder me, so... Opinions are like <laughs> assholes. Everyone's got one. Thank you. Uh, so, the horror technique of fake jump scares, which we refer to quite a lot on this podcast, um, was actually invented with this film, uh, involving a scene where a bus pulls up and uh, scares the shit out of one of the characters. And uh, it's known as the Luton Bus Scare, as well as Cat Scare as well. Yeah, so essentially the, the character Alice is being followed down the street. And uh, it's a wonderful scene where you hear two sets of high heels uh, walking. And out of nowhere this bus comes and she shits herself. And she gets on the bus, essentially. Um, but it's a wonderful build of attention before that point. And then you get the Luton bus jump scare. Yeah. So, sets from Awesome Wells is the magnificent Ambersons was used on this film because of the budget. A film, uh, another film we're yet to see. So, and it was uh, such a hit that the next two Val Luton films, the producer, uh, in the next two Val Luton films, uh, I Walked With a Zombie and Leopard Man, were both delayed. So this could have a bit more time in the spotlight. Yeah, I've um, seen parts of I Walk With A Zombie and it looks great, uh, very much. I think it's a similar style to Cat People, but a little more over the top. Um, Le Leopard Man, I've never, never seen, unfortunately. Only heard of recently. Uh, so this is a uh, RKO production. Do you have films there that RKO released? Yeah, yeah. So RKO released Citizen Kane, King Kong, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's Suspicion, uh, The Thing from Another Planet. And another... Thing from Another World. Oh, yeah. Thing from <laughs> Another World. What's Thing from Another Planet? Uh, it might be another film. Maybe I should do a film. 
Uh, another Howard Hawks film, Bringing Up Baby, one of my favourite films. And then, of course, Out of the Past as well. Uh, they released Top Hat, the Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire film. So quite successful. Yeah. What, what they were sort of known for, um, really, um, kind of like the Blumhouse of their day for genre films that made a lot of money, essentially. Yeah. Which is something that Universal were doing at the same time with their monster movies. Yes. And uh, RKO were a little worried about uh, the finished film because it's too subtle compared to the Universal horror films. Yes. Which, it is a very subtle film. Oh yeah, the St. William Castle we're talking about. This isn't... This is a lot more subtle. Yeah. A lot more. Yeah, yeah that's true. In fact, what studio did... It was uh, Paramount that released William Castle songs, wasn't it? Columbia. 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 Um... Yeah, so, I mean, when you look at the sort of films being released around that time, I think this was a little more before William Castle, but e even before. so, like, some of the sci-fi films and everything, this, this is very subtle compared to those. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at Frankenstein, you, you have, you know, the makeup of Frankenstein's monster. You know, you get kids being thrown into the lake, you get a big fire, all, all that stuff, and uh, in this, the sequel, Bride of Frankenstein, is just as over the top. And then you get a film like this where, you know, spoiler alert, the, the killer cat, you don't even see it until the end of the film. No. Um, but even so, enough people loved it for it to be included on uh, the nominations for American Film Institute's 100 Greatest American Films of All Time, uh, Roger Ebert's list of his favourite films of all time, many, many lists like that. Yeah, I think, I think it's a fantastic film. Um... And what makes it so great is that subtlety, is that build-up of tension for so long, you know? And then, at the end, finally releasing it. So, uh, Val Luton, again, uh, wanted to adapt Algon and Blackwood's short story, Ancient Sorceries, but the short story is set in, French, in a French village, in the 19th century, so they didn't quite have the budget for that. I mean, they were borrowing sets from Orson Welles, so I can see why they uh, couldn't afford to create a, yeah. a French village in the 19th century. I'm not I'm not familiar with that story anyway, so I don't really know. And uh, the director and Val Luton both came close to being fired because the studio just weren't happy with what they had uh, until it made money, of course. And then I think the studio must have been very happy. Yes. <laughs> And then tried to do a lot of the same film, didn't they? Yeah. So, fast forwarding on 40 years, uh, we go to 1982, where Cat People was directed by Paul Schrader, director of Hardcore, American Gigolo, Dominion, prequel to The Exorcist, and more recently First Reformed, uh, as well as writing Taxi Driver. Raging Ball. Yeah. Uh, he directed Blue Collar, um, directed Mishima, you know, quite, quite a renowned filmmaker. Not just in horror, uh, but in, in general, really. He made this on an $18 million budget, but only made back a whopping $7 million uh, earnings. Gross and whatever. He made $7 million anyway. I don't think worldwide. Worldwide. Well. No, it is a case of bad advertising. I think so. They didn't know. They didn't. I don't think the studio really knew what the film was. Was it a werewolf film i know it's not a werewolf but should they you know market it as if it's a werewolf film 
Uh, is it an erotic thriller? Is it basically softcore porn? Um, you know, and so you get a poster and it's a, it's a great poster, but it doesn't really say what the film is. It's just Natasha Kinski wet, looking all sultry, looking like Sheena Easton. Yeah. And, and and this was released around the same time as a lot of werewolf films, uh, like uh, it had been just, well, a few years before Silver Bullet, just after American Wealth in London, around the same time as The Howling. Uh, and it should have been, I think it should have been marketed more like a werewolf film because it's not that dissimilar. Yeah. I mean, it's a cat, obviously, but it's, it's you know, like the transformation scene and everything and the, the whole tone of it all, it's very similar to those films I just mentioned. Yeah, it's not, um, I don't know, I suppose it's not horror enough really for a werewolf mm. film. If, if anything, comparable to, I, I thought it was a bit like The Hunger. It was a bit like The Hunger. That's the vibe oh, I was getting. Oh, do you getting. know what I, what's really weird? I was getting society from this. Okay. Can you see why? No. Like the whole incestuous brother and yeah. the whole... Society with the family, um, but with cats instead of people with the face in an ass. <laughs> but that, that's what I was getting from it anyway. Okay. It, was, it was like society meets the howling. <laughs> society meets the howling. That, that's what I was getting. Um, so, a re recorded version of the film's theme song uh, is included on David Bowie's Let's Dance album. <coughs> Bless oh, you. I'm so sorry. Wow. Please excuse that, me. It's probably going to make people deaf when they listen to I'm that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay, it was a fucking sneeze. Back to, back to David Bowie. Um, he wanted the original version of the uh, of the theme song on his soundtrack, but copyright complications prevented it. But yeah, it has a David Bowie theme song. Yes, which makes it infinitely cooler. Yes. Maybe that's why I get the hunger vibes. Maybe mm. it's that David Bowie connection. David Bowie should have been in this. He should have, actually. Yeah, he should have done the Malcolm McDowell part. Uh, by his own admission, Paul Schrader says that one day he got so stoned on set that he refused to come out of his trailer and a whole day's filming was lost. Wow. If How many directors get away with stuff like I know. That? I mean, you know, if anyone's seen the film, then, you know... You will be able to notice uh, a few scenes where this I definitely was the case. It's just so weird that they used to be able to... I'm not sure if they can now. I, I suppose they don't. They can't get away with it You'll now. get some pretentious arsehole that does it. And but, they'll, they'll think that they are back in those days. Oh, so rock and roll. And I'll repeat this story when uh, we do an episode on it. But the director of Myra Breckenridge apparently spent a whole day, everyone being paid there in full costume, waiting to go... He spent a whole day in the corner of the room photographing a cake. <laughs> Spoiler alert, there's no photographs of cakes in the film. It had nothing to do with the film. He was just photographing a cake in the corner for a whole day. Look, they lost a whole day's worth of film. Wow. But at least got paid for it. <laughs> That's cocaine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um... He he also regrets using the title because of the negative reaction you got of people comparing it to the original, which is lose lose really. Because I mean, if he did it scene for scene, then people complain about that as well. And what would what would he have called it? Uh, cat attack. Yeah, yeah, attack of the erotic cats. Um, <laughs> erotic cats. <laughs> 
uh, family know. family affair, literally. Um, <laughs> he also is a bit of tea for you because you know here at Horror Court Trash we always provide you with top tea. Uh, he had a relationship with Natasha Kinski during uh, production. So there, there we, we go. are. Little gossip for you. Hot gossip. It was first offered a revisionist remake. Uh, he later uh, rewrote it and added his own perverse ending. So, I mean, technically this is a revisionist remake, I'd say. Well, yeah. But it, apparently it's not classed as one. Some of the scenes are similar. Mm. Um, some of the scenes are taken from the original. Some of the dialogue, actually, as well. Um, but yeah, I think there's enough differences. I mean, at the end of the day, the first film is an hour and ten minutes. Yeah. This one's two hours. Yeah. You know, the, that 50 minutes is going to uh, amount to some a lot of differences. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, Bo Derek was originally scheduled to play the lead role. <laughs> How do you think that would have went? Um, <laughs> not well. <laughs> um, Bo Derek was a notoriously terrible actress, wasn't she? Mm. Um, I'm hoping to cover sometime in the future uh, Bolero or Ghosts Can't Do It. I would like a little double bill, to be fair, and to cover on the podcast. But um, they're quite notoriously difficult to get hold of, those films. Hmm. Um, but she's, she, I think she's won three Razzies for oh, acting. Wow. You know Bo Derek, don't you, what she was... What was she in? So Bo Derek was famous, essentially, for, uh, you know, the film Ten. Mm. Um, she was the woman running down the beach with her hair in the cornrows. Okay. Uh, which she would never get away with now. Um, she's right. a white woman. Um, but yeah, and that was the iconic image. You know, mm-hmm. She's a great beauty, very beautiful woman, but she can't act for shit. <laughs> um, so it, what's really interesting is IMDb has a trivia fact on there saying that explicit full frontal nudity shots uh, of Natasha Kinski were shot, but Kinski um, didn't want it in the film. She, she wanted it removed and it got removed. That's bullshit. You see everything in yeah. this film. Yeah, and I'm assuming it's all hers. There's no way that could have been a There's body no double. No, no, no. Because you see her face and you see everything, literally. Yeah. So, thank you, IMDb, for that false bit of information. Yeah, false news. Um, producer you. producer Wilbur Stark uh, purchased the rights to the RKO library to remake as much of it as he could. Uh, and they got as far as uh, remaking this and The Thing. Obviously, John Carpenter's The Thing. And because of the box office failures between the both of them, uh, yeah, it just didn't continue. And it's, it's so strange that, you know, when this, to think that The Thing, uh, you know, one of the greatest sci fi horror films of all time, bombed at the box office. Yeah. That's so strange to look film. at now. Yeah, but uh, that just didn't continue. Uh, the UK press reported that John Hurt was in this film because they misheard John Hurt. <laughs> so yeah. many people went to see this film expecting to see John Hurt and got John got the dad from Home Alone instead. They did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm McDowell was reluctant to take his role because he disliked the original. 
but he was convinced when he was told it was an erotic take on it. Lovely. He loves getting his knob out, doesn't he? He does that. He, yeah, yeah. We have seen his knob a few times. In films, my ass. <laughs> no, he's round the other day. John Hurd almost turned it down because of the erotic take on it. Because uh, he thought it was just porn. And he apparently he felt really awkward during his sex scenes. His sex scenes aren't that explicit. It's not that explicit of a film, really. Yeah, maybe for the time. Uh, I mean, compared to the original, it's fucking Debbie Does Dallas. Mm. But, you know, now you're just like, yeah, it's just boobs and bush and a bit of a willy. Yeah, bit of a willy. Just a bit. Just a small bit. <laughs> no. It's a bit of an ass as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you didn't see much. I mean, you don't. You only see John Hurd's ass anyway. In the way. So, act. do you want to tell us what happens in the non-erotic nineteen forty-two original? I would love to. Uh, like I said, it's only an hour and ten minutes long, um, and really, the, the, not much goes on. Um, which it sounds bad, but you know, it's to build tension and such. But I'll, I'll give you a little overview. So Irina meets Oliver at the zoo, where she is sketching big cats. They quickly start a relationship, and when I say quickly, I mean mm-hmm. quickly, um, and get married. I mean, it's literally like... Within well, days. Within days. It feels like within days. They they meet, he says, I love you, they get married. Um, it, it sounds silly, but I think there's an explanation to it. Um, I'll get onto that later. Um, so they get married, yet Irina is unable to consummate the marriage due to a curse she believes has been passed down through her ancestry. This curse consists of turning into a large, vicious cat upon being aroused to passion, either romantically or emotionally. Um, so when they say passion, they mean like kissing and getting it on, uh, but also like anger and jealousy and such. Why are you laughing? Thank you for that description of passion. Passion. <laughs> well, some people just think passion is just passion. Which whenever she's passionate. Um, this paranoia takes over Irina's life and ruins her marriage to Oliver, who begins to get closer to his colleague, Alice. Irina is sent to a psychiatrist, Dr. Judd, who dismisses her ideas and believes she's insane. Irina sees the romance building between Oliver and Alice and starts to stalk Alice once on the street and again at the swimming pool. Fantastic scene, both fantastic scenes, really wonderful. Um, seemingly in the form of a large cat, but we don't see the cat until the very end. So, yes. Oliver wants Irina sent away, and as they plan on sending her to the mental hospital, Irina seduces and kills Dr. Judd. Irina makes her way to the zoo again, and upon releasing a panther from its cage, the cat attacks and kills her. Oliver and Alice find a dead panther lying on the ground, and Oliver admits that Irina was telling the truth all along. So that's very sort of basic plot summary. Yeah. Um, uh, it's a lot more... The, the scenes are longer, aren't they? So mm-hmm. Alice is stalked for quite a while and on the street and on the, at the swimming pool. It's not a long film uh, by any means, um, but it, it's quite short on plot as well. Yeah. Not much happens. It's about the um, 
tension building and the atmosphere and the symbolism um, and essentially, you know, the, the question is, I mean, we found out, I've just told you, she, she was a cat in the end. But, you know, is Irina making this up? Is she crazy? Is she a crazy murderer? Or is she someone who turns into a cat and kills people when she becomes passionate? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, I think, because it's an hour and ten minutes, I think the pacing could have definitely been better. Um, like I said, it, I, I do think it's a good film. I didn't hate it by any means, but I don't know. There's just some scenes where it just felt like it was just a love triangle going on over and over again. I can understand what you mean. Sometimes it feels maybe a little repetitive because not much goes on plot-wise. Mm. Um, it's got, you know, it's got all the iconic scenes, like you said, that, you know, the fake jump scare, the, the swimming pool scene, uh, the ending, you know, all this stuff, it, you know, it is iconic and it's very, very important for horror history. Um, wonderfully shot. And for film history, by yeah, all means. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and I do appreciate it for that. You know, it, it's uh, a technical marvel for its day. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that and that side of things, you know, the filmmaking and those scenes and, you know, the scenes that are written really well, it, it does a really good job. I just wish it was a little more... I, I don't want to say exciting, because I, I do like slow burner films, but I wish it was a little less repetitive. Yeah, I and mean, it's 80 years old yeah. as well, you know. Um but how can you how can you be invested in these characters to get like in a relationship within (laughs) within fucking days but but what i gathered from that is that irena had a animal magnetism Mm. which is why oliver fell for her so quickly it's because of that animal magnetism because she was a cat woman yeah um and let's be and then i've given you the plot now this film should not have been called Cat People. No. There was only one cat person. I, su- I suppose a village, her ancestors were cat people. Mm. That's a little bit of a stretch. Um, this actually came out before the comic book and should have been called Catwoman. Yeah. It should have been called Catwoman. So, 1982 um, opens in a very different way because... We are shown a desert with a David Bowie theme song, um, but the the instrumental version with with little noises here and there, isn't it? Like David yes, Bowie making yeah. noises. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we get, we're open with a desert with schools, and uh, yeah, we we see a desert tribe tie a woman to a tree, and a black lap le- leopard leopard sets her free. And uh, she goes to a cave and has a stare off of a cat. And we jump to modern day where Paul welcomes Irina home to New Orleans. Paul is Irina's brother. And uh, Irina is obviously same character as the original. They have chicken gumbo for dinner. Why is that important? Because there's a scene <laughs> in the original film uh, where they're at a restaurant and all Oliver wants is an apple pie, and the waitress is absolutely fuming. No one wants it. Because she's made this chicken gumbo, and no one wants to eat the yeah. chicken gumbo. Whereas in, in this version, we get some chicken gumbo, wants chicken gumbo right off the bat. <laughs> uh, Paul and Irina, they look through a cabinet full of childhood stuff. We've got a little bit of exposition here and there. He watches her in bed that night like a cat, and a prostitute is clawed to death 
by a leopard. Um, no, well, she's clawed by a leopard, but she's dragged to her death from the stairs. But what happens before she gets dragged to her death, Chris? <laughs> so, um, her bra comes undone. <laughs> For no reason. So this is this is Lynn Lowry, who's a, a wonderful cult film actress. She's been in some great films. I Drink Your Blood, The Crazies, Shivers. Uh, gorgeous woman, really, really beautiful. Um, I don't know why I always feel the need to say that about women. I guess because I'm usually about to insult their acting, so I have to so give them Jesus. a compliment beforehand. But Lynn Lowry is a fantastic actress um, for, for genre film. And she plays this prostitute and the, the, the panther's under the bed, grabs her. She manages to crawl down the stairs, like from the front, like flat. And then she turns round and then she just sort of like screams <laughs> and then her bra pops open <laughs> from the front. It's an open it's uh, so front unnecessary. Opening, I want to know how they did that special effect. Exactly. Yeah, they must have had one guy each side just pull at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens. <laughs> Uh, I only need, I mentioned the important stuff. Um, <laughs> the police are trying to catch this uh, this leopard now. Um, after what's gone on, uh, zookeeper Oliver uh, finds Irina at the zoo, and they have a chat and whatnot. Um, and then, what? Oliver is a different surname in this film. He does. He does. Um, in the original film, he was called Oliver Reed. Um, and they had to change the surname, obviously, because there was... By 1982, there was a famous actor called Oliver Reed. <laughs> he takes Irina for dinner and uh, asks if she'd like to work at the zoo. So uh, she meets Alice, that bitch, um, and uh, reveals that she's a virgin. Um, because obviously, if she gets fucked, then she's going to turn to a cat. So uh, a leopard uh, tears a guy's arm off. And kills him. Wonder who this leopard is. Uh, Alice and Oliver go looking for the leopard. It's missing. Paul is uh, he, he's acting shady, and he confronts Irina about her wanting to fuck Oliver. Uh, and then he tries it on with her. And Irina escapes. Paul chases for a bit. Uh, he disappears when the police arrives. And the police, Oliver and Alice, find a basement in Paul's house with cages and weird kinky looking shit. So we get some exposition about the family and, uh, you know, the cat people as such. Uh, Irina goes to stay with Oliver and they go fishing. Uh, Paul takes a, uh, a picture of a blonde girl in a graveyard uh, because he's a fucking weirdo. And uh, eventually kills her, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming she was a prostitute. Yeah. 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 So he only kills prostitutes in this. Uh, Irina and Oliver have a kiss. Um, but, oh, yeah. Before Paul kills a blonde lady, he can't get it up. Um, yeah. <laughs> Irina gets naked and goes for a walk. She does in the woods for some reason. She eats a rabbit and Oliver finds her covered in blood. And... Uh, he, yeah, so the blonde girl's killed, got it there. Uh, Alice is getting, starting to get jealous of Irina, just like in the original. Uh, Paul visits Irina to try convincing her to have sex with him. Uh, she's not happy with that though, so she stabs him and runs away. She's not into incest. Uh, Paul begins to transform, which is a great effect, which we'll get to shortly. He attacks Oliver. Uh, Alice shoots him. Irina screams for a bit. Um, the 
autopsy on leopard on Paul is is a leopard basically. Uh, an arm comes out of the body, and uh, Irina goes to the airport. Uh, she she goes through a door to the desert at the airport, um, you know, as you do. And Paul's there. He's, he's alive in this alternative universe place, wherever she is. And tells her about her parents' past and uh, how they're all fucking each other in the family. And uh, their race must kill. So Alice goes for a jog. Uh, leopard, a leopard is following her. And we get the fake jump scare from the original... Uh, still did in a very effective way. She goes for a swim uh, without a top on. And there's leopard noises scaring her, but Irina's there and she's looking for Oliver. So she's this is essentially the section where she starts stalking Alice. Kind of makes a little less sense in this one because in the original you had that whole build-up of the yeah, there's, there's love triangle. Clear, for Irina in the original, there are clear indicators that something more is going on um, <laughs> uh, the clearest indicator is Oliver telling Irina that he wants to leave her for Alice, uh, which I yeah. just remembered as I was saying that. I was like, well, that's quite an obvious one. Well, they went to a museum and he was yeah. like, yeah, can you fuck off, please? Yeah, you, you're going to be interested in this. You piss off and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll do this. Um, but in, in the remake, I don't feel like Alice and Irina interact enough for there to be that tension there yeah i feel like this is the the moment where you know he's like okay shit i'm making a cat people remake i need to include something oh let's get the most famous scenes yeah um but yeah it's just thrown in but yeah so uh after this uh alice tells oliver about the incident Irina shows up gets naked her and oliver have sex uh, Irina starts transforming and uh she goes outside as a leopard now and she's cornered on a bridge by the police. She jumps off it uh, and is shot at. Oliver finds her at his boat house. She wants him to kill her or fuck her. So he ties her to the bed and they have sex. And after this, she is put in a zoo. Yeah. Yeah, so she ends up being one of the exhibits at the zoo. Yeah. And... Is that a happy ending? Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a happy ending. No one else dies. Yeah. We Oliver and Alice end up together like they yeah. do in the original. And we end on a David Bowie song. We do. Yes. So. So you can see there's a lot more to the remake. There's a lot more to it. There's more yeah. characters. There's, there's a bit more going on um, sexually. Mm. <laughs> Let's be clear. Um, as opposed to the original, biggest difference is obviously the Malcolm McDowell character, mm. who doesn't exist in the original film. No. Um, so in the remake, there is a very clear antagonist mm. to the to yeah. the the piece. He is the bad guy. We yeah. know he's the bad guy. He's essentially a serial killer. Yeah, which, you know, which we will get to when we get to characters. Yeah. So hold your hold your hold, hold your cats. Well, sorry, I was just I was just making a good point, but if you don't want a good point, oh, we do want I do want a good point, and we will get to that show. Come come. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed the eighties remake. I, I I do. I think it, the thing is, it takes something that had a hundred and thirty four thousand dollar budget and does it with an eighteen million dollar budget. So essentially, I felt like this did. 
a lot of things that the original probably wanted to do but could never have done with that budget and with the time it was released. So I feel like it, you know, it completely works for that. I feel like it, it presents a more rounded, completed version of that original vision. But we've added uh, Fanny and stuff. Yeah, I think this is more in tune to what cat, the original Cat People would have been if it was a universal horror mm. film. Um, obviously without the nudity and all that, toned down in violence and nudity. Um, but I feel like this is what the studio probably wanted Cat People to be back in 1942. Mm. You know, um, a lot more over the top. Um, you see the cat a lot more. Um, you introduce a clear-cut bad guy, you know, a clear-cut yeah. monster. Um, and he would have probably been Catman and he would have had five sequels afterwards, Yeah, you know. Um, so they are very different films. They are very different uh, with a few things connecting them, but... Uh, I prefer, I do prefer the original. I just, I just think the subtlety works more, um, than being so over the top, like the, the remake. And it's not a bad remake, it's a good remake. Um, it just, I just don't think it succeeds, um, the original film. Okay. Well, we'll get, well, you, you spoiled that now for everybody, but I'll get to my opinion on that later. <laughs> So, cinematography, scares, kills, and soundtrack. 1942. Um, so, 1942 is very atmospheric. Even when not a lot's going on. It's very atmospheric. The, the, the cinematography is... Uh, it's great. It, it looks... It, it looks like a... It, it still looks good to this day. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's... Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was saying. So, it is a slow burner, uh, as we have mentioned, um, but, you know, it does have its moments. It, it does make the the jump scare scene, uh, the fake jump scare, even more effective because you're really just not expecting it. You, you've got the build-up, but you, you don't think... And especially in 1942, Jesus, no one's going to expect that to happen. No. Yeah. So, uh, what's your thoughts on the, the scares... I mean, there's no point talking about kills for 1942, but... There's not really scares in the remake, I don't think. Um, the remake? I'm talking about the original. Yeah, for the original, mm. the, there are... I'm, I'm talking about a comparison between mm. the two. Um, in the original, they're great. You know, it, it started a whole jump scare thing. It, it was very revolutionary for the time. Um the tension that's built up in many scenes is incredible you know Hitchcock could be jealous of some of it I would say so yeah absolutely soundtrack um it's yeah, I don't know it's I don't find the original kind of is what it is I don't find the original soundtrack really anything that stands out the sound editing yeah, it's fucking good. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, yes. The soundtrack yeah. is uh, not not very memorable, um, which which brings me to 1982, and the soundtrack for the film is phenomenal. Yeah. It's so good. Mm -hmm. It works really, really well. Of course, you know, I mean, like I said, David Bowie. 
you know, it's a, he's got a theme song for it. What more could you ask for? Mm-hmm. The Giorgio Moroder, uh, we really enjoyed uh, Electric Dreams, his soundtrack to, to that as well. Um, so he was on top form in the 80s. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very synth-heavy, uh, which, you know, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that's, you know, a major selling point for me. Um, see, I mean, you mentioned the, the remake hasn't got any scares, but, I mean, that transformation scene, it's short. You don't see a full transformation, but what you do see is quite effective. Yeah, I suppose so. The practical effects are really good. I suppose so. I mean, what year was The Howling? The Howling, I believe, was after this, I want to say. Or maybe just around the same time. I just think if you're not going to be on the same level as an American werewolf in London... Mm then what's the point if, well, if you're not going to go to that level? I don't think many films are on the same level as American Werewolf in London. No, no, but that was kind of... The moment American Werewolf in London came out, the whole idea of transforming into a werewolf, into a cat, into a bear, whatever, on screen, was never the same. No. You know, you, you, could, you either pull it back... And, you know, you don't show it at all, or you have to show it. Just the, I just didn't think the showing pieces of it really worked. I would have liked to have seen the whole thing. Yeah, because um, all I could think of was an American werewolf in London. Yeah. And hoping it was going to go there, and it didn't. Yeah, I, I do wish it showed the whole thing. I, I was happy with what it showed. Um, the curls, you don't really see them in depth... But it's more visible than the original. Um, you know, there's more more gore in this. And, I think someone gets their arm ripped off. Yeah, I mean, does, does gore make a good film? No, absolutely not. You know, it's it's just a factor that adds towards it. Um, but it, I, I think it's effective in this because, again, it adds to that sort of 80s horror feel um, that you'd recognise from other films as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, and you know, I enjoyed it for that. Uh, and it's, it's so stylish. The cinematography is fucking great in this. It looks great. Yeah. It's it's it really, great. really great. And, and normally we'd group everything together and compare the two. But I'm going to break this one actually down into the different sections. So cinematog- cinematography, I am going to go with the original. Yeah. Um, only because uh, it was, for its time, it, it looked new. It was it was the first of its kind. Everything about it was new. Yeah, and the use of my my, my biggest comparison between the two is that swimming pool scene, mm. where in the original the, the the swimming pool is dark, and it's eerie. Yeah. Um, and the cinematography is great, and yeah. you just see Alice in the pool and this light on her and she's the only thing that we can really fix mm. our eyes on but we can hear the you know prowling around her but because it's so dark and you know mm. it's a big black cat she can't see we can't see what is it who is it you know that's fantastic yeah that scene in the remake it's a weird one because it's so brightly lit mm. But it's relying on a strip of black paint across the wall, mm. all across the, the swimming pool, to hide the cat. 
Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really get, I, I just didn't get why they chose to do that rather than just having it be dark like the original one. Mm. If anything, I don't understand why that swimming pool scene's in the film. Maybe it, it was just to show off Alice's boobs, to be honest. Yeah, and it's just, it's it's a throwback to the original, I, I do understand. But it doesn't really help the plot because it's, it's, no. it seems out of place. No. Um, it doesn't really, we've already seen, you know, um, them turn into cats. Yeah. So the whole hiding and not knowing what's there, what's the point? Because mm. we already know, whereas in the original... Us as viewers are just as, you know, um, questioning as the characters as to whether Irina is a Catwoman or not. Yeah. Whereas in the remake, we already know. So why are you hiding it? Mm. I'd rather have just seen a cat prowling around the swimming pool. And you could just see the cat. I mean, they had the budget for it. Yeah. A lot of the the reason why the cat's not seen so much in the original film is because the budget wouldn't allow it. Mm. Um, which, you know, thank God it didn't allow it because it made for some fantastic scenes. Yeah. Um, but in the remake, they could have just had the cat prowling around the pool and it would have looked great. That would have been fantastic. Yeah. You know, her stuck in the middle of the swimming pool, the cat going round and round watching her. That would have been, that would have been a great scene. Yeah. And that brings me to scares. I mean, like I said, you know, for me, the original, the, it has pains and issues and such, but I'd still say the original because it's more unexpected because you've had that slow pace and until that point. Mm. Um, so I'm going to go cinematography scares uh, 1942 and kills and soundtrack without doubt go to 1982. Do you agree? I completely agree. Okay. So then that brings us to characters. So we've got Irina, played by Simone Simon in 1942, and Natasha Kinski in 1982. Um, this is difficult. For, because, I mean, really, the performances are really good in both mm. these films for all characters. Um, I think Natasha Kinski's... I don't know, she's just... I enjoyed watching her, but... I felt like Simone Simon was a little more mysterious. I mean, like you said, we knew she was. We knew with Kinski she was a cat woman from the get go. Mm. But with um, Simone Simon, obviously, we didn't know that. But still, I don't know. It's very clutching at straws here. Yeah, it's, because it's I, very I think they both did a really good job. I mean, Simone Simon, like I said, Simone Simon just seemed really mysterious and. She just seemed like a character from an old Hollywood film to me. Like, she had that sort of classic feeling about her. Like, yeah. you'd expect to see her in something like fucking All About Eve or Sunset Boulevard. And you, you felt like she was hiding a secret. You you did. Or or she felt like yeah. she was hiding something. Yeah. Um, I, I think she did a great job uh, of uh, her performance. It was great. Um, Natasha Kinski, I think, I think it was a different kind of character... There was a lot more. Um, she felt a lot, a lot younger. Yeah. A lot younger, than in the original, um, and I think there was kind of like a childlike naivete to mm. her, because um, she never really. 
you never really see her fighting a battle with herself as to whether this is true or not. Her her battle tends to be with the Malcolm O'Dowd character rather than with herself. Yeah. You know, so it's a different kind of character. Um, But I think both women did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what I'm gonna have to have to give a tie to because yeah. I can't I can't decide between the two. I think they both did a great job. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's a, a, a fair comparison mm. because I do think they were both going for two completely different things, and and you know reasonably going for two different things. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously with Natasha Kinski, it was a lot more sex appeal as well yes that, that's another thing that she's heavily reliant on yeah and I think um, if Simone Simon had to do a lot of her scenes in the nude she may have struggled a yeah, little bit you yeah know? Uh, I can't imagine having to act um, and she, she pulls it off she makes it she doesn't make it look like it's exploitative she makes it look like it is meant to be an art house film yeah she, she, you know she doesn't it's it's doesn't feel it, it feels strange saying this because there are sex scenes, but it doesn't feel like it's sexualized. It doesn't feel like it's there because of that. No, no. Specifically, yeah. Know, it, I mean, especially means you know one of the scenes we see is John Hurt's big hairy ass in, in your face. It's true. So, <laughs> but speaking of which, Oliver Kent Smith in nineteen forty two and John Hurt, not John Hurt, in nineteen eighty two. It's a bit of a non entity in the original. Yeah. He's got nothing to him. He's a bit of a... A bit of an arsehole, really. He is a little bit. He actually says at one point that he's never known sadness in his life. No, like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> a weird one. This, this, um, I don't know how, how to describe him. He's a bit plain, really. Yeah, I mean, in the original, it's just... It's kind of... Uh, it was kind of laughable at moments where, like the art gallery scene, which I mentioned, where he was just, oh, no, you won't enjoy this. Um, please, just fuck off, you know. He's a bit it's, of a it's, it's like he's so casually an arsehole that I just found him really unlikable, um, which obviously made me like Irina more. Mm. But performance-wise, I mean, Ken Smith did a good, a good enough job, um, but I prefer John Hurd. John Hurd has a lot more to do. Yeah. And John Hurd is a very more. is a very very good actor. Yeah, um, yeah, he's not a bad actor. No, um, I don't think I've seen Kent Smith in anything else. No, no, I think it's most. I think for the majority of the original cat people, this was the most their most famous role. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I just think that the character of Oliver in the in the original is just a non entity. Just yeah, he's just kind of there to move the plot. <laughs> Basically, Whereas, you know, I liked that John Hurd's um, Oliver was a zookeeper as well. It made sense. Yeah, it, it worked with the plot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So so I mean, for me, that that one is John Hurd. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Alice, <laughs> Jane Randolph in nineteen forty two, and Annette O'Toole in nineteen eighty two. Much like Irina, I've got the same opinion for both of these, but it's not for the same reason. <laughs> I mean, what can you say about Alice, really? She's it, just kind of... She's just there, you know. I mean, in the original, she's there for the love triangle. In the remake, she's there, but if Alice didn't necessarily need to be there. No, not really. No, she didn't. Um, she was just kind of like... 
Oliver's colleague for the majority of the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. If you hadn't seen the um, original, it, it would have been a little jarring when she becomes a main character eventually because for the most films, she's just set on the side. Yeah, 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 I agree. I, I think essentially you have two... No, no, I won't. The original, you have a film that is centred on one person. Yeah. It's her story and everyone else is there to push that story. Yeah. You know, it, it's as simple as that. And uh, they may get, you know, uh, a fair bit of screen time, mm. but they are there to push that one protagonist's story. Mm. Um, in the remake, that's to a lesser extent, but not because of Alice. No. Because of other characters. So Alice is just sort of there as a little reference to the original but also for Irina's weird um jealousy that seems to come out of nowhere yeah I mean they both do a good job um yeah. I'll probably give it to Jane Randolph yeah. um I felt like I I felt like I didn't like her a little a little more than I did with Annette at all, which I think was the point of Alice's character. I think Alice was meant to be a little annoying in the yeah. remake. Yeah, whereas uh, in the remake, I don't know, I didn't really find her that unlikable in the remake. I... Did you not? No. I thought she was a little annoying. But not in the same way She just that... wasn't there. Yeah, she just wasn't not, present. Not in the same way as the original Alice, because... Jane Randolph kind of played it as if she was a bit of a bitch. She so, was, yeah. yeah. So that is that's, very true, actually. And, and that's, why yeah. I, that's why I'm And that was kind Jane of Randolph. the point as well, yeah. So Alice was a bitch in the first one. Mm. Because you are essentially meant to feel sorry for um, Irina. Yeah. And that, I think that's why people had such an issue with the film. Uh, the, the, um, the studio had mm. such an issue with the film is because Irina is the protagonist and her own antagonist. This, this reminds me, um, I, I can't believe we've ever mentioned this by now, we're, we're like 50 minutes in and we haven't mentioned this. Count People is often referred to as an LGBT film. What's your thoughts on that? Um, what? The fact that um, she's a lesbian and this whole cat thing is her lesbian side coming out, do you think? Essentially, and that's what's stopping her from sleeping with men. Um, it's an interesting I think way it definitely it. could be read that yeah. way. And I wouldn't say it's necessarily a negative thing either, because, I mean, you know, I mean, the cat is looked at as dangerous, but at the same time, this is a character that we're meant to like. So it, it, it's, it's basically saying, it, it, you know, it, if it is an allegory for that, then it's been put on a likeable character. Yeah, and this is her secret shame. Yeah. Um, no, I understand. You know, that kind of makes sense, mm. really. And maybe it's not a jealousy of Alice, but a jealousy of Oliver. Mm. Maybe, you know, she's passionate for, for Alice. Yeah. And that's why she becomes the cat at the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Rather than jealousy of Alice and Oliver's relationship. Well, yeah, she's revealing her... She reveals her true side to Alice before she reveals her true side yeah. to Oliver. And Alice is repulsed. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, this is 1942. Yeah. Um, and, of course, Irina has to die in the end. Yeah. 
Um, we watched a fantastic documentary called uh, The Celluloid Closet. Um, I would recommend it to anyone to watch. It's really great. It's from the 90s, so it's not bang up to date. Um, but it looks at a lot of these tropes. Um, and one of them is essentially, you know, if you have a LGBT, LGBT character, um, and, and, and obviously not out because it's 1942, uh, but they essentially have to die in the end. Mm. And Irina does. So I can definitely read into that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, obviously the fact she dies and the fact that Alice's report is negative, but other than that, you know, having a protagonist as that LGBT character, I think it's quite, you know, it's not awful. Especially in comparison to a lot of other fucking 40s LGBT films. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's never going to get it spot on. No. It's almost 80 years since this film came out. Yeah. So it's not, we've come a long way since then. Um, but it's a very interesting way to read the film. Two characters that we're not really going to compare because they're not the same character. Uh, Dr. Louis Judd, Tom Conway, 1942, and Paul Malcolm McDowell, 1982. I mean, I think having a doctor in the original helped a lot. He didn't feel like he was pushing along, so he felt like a main character. Yeah. So he, he was... He kind of pushed the plot along in uh, to its uh, conclusion because he's the one that was suggesting that Irina get locked up mm. and put away. He essentially says to Oliver, you know, you can do two things. You can get this marriage annulled because it's not been consummated, mm. um, which he would recommend. Um, but he also said you can look after Irina Mm-hmm. and get her locked up and put away. Mm. But you cannot get divorced because you cannot divorce a crazy person. Um, so that, to me, that kind of showed his character. So it's quite sleazy, yeah, really. And he does, you know, Irina seduces him, but it takes two to tango. Mm. And he's there snogging his friend, you know, and he, he mm. is friends with Oliver. He's snogging his friend's wife. You know? So he's very sleazy. Yeah. And obviously he gets his comeuppance. And of course, Paul is also very, very sleazy. Yeah. Um, and I, I think for the original... To be a horror film, you have to kill someone. Mm. Someone has to die. Yeah. You know? Would you say... The, would you say Dr. Judd was the antagonist? Um... In... I think there's a way you can look at it to where he is. Yeah. I, I, I still stand by that Irina was the protagonist and mm. her own antagonist. Yeah. Um, I do stand by that. But Oliver, Alice and Dr. Judd were in their own ways antagonists because they didn't believe her. Mm. They wrote her off as being crazy. Dr. Judd, more than anyone else wrote her off mm-hmm. and they almost sent her off you know so they weren't helping the situation at all so i do see them as antagonists to irena's story um yeah yeah no i i, I believe that what do you think no no that's exactly what i think mm. um Whereas Paul, you don't have to think about it he's just straight up an antagonist and uh, that's <laughs> and i think that's what uh, 
I think that's what wouldn't have worked in 1942, mm. but had to happen in 1982. Yeah. I think I think he's a risky character, Paul. I mean, you know, adding incest to a film is going to leave a sour taste in anyone's mouth. Um, but as extreme as he is, like proper trying it on with her and everything and, you know, revealing the whole incestuous past thing... Um, in such a dark film, I mean, uh, you know, I compared it to society. With, mm. with society, you got the whole, you know, incestuous thing and the whole body horror thing and everything. But in society, as serious as it is, and you know, as much as you know, it's a metaphor for uh, politics and and social uh, commentary and and all that. You know, it's still a fun film. You got the whole over the top thing at the end that kind of takes you out of the whole incest thing. Um, because it's yeah you what you're watching is something you you know you just can't stop thinking about, whereas this is a very big part of the plot and it's a it's a very dark film so it kind of makes you feel a little ugh like you need to take a shower. After the whole idea the is that they had to be incestuous though, because they only didn't become cats and kill mm. um, their mates when they had incestual intercourse. Yeah. So that was the whole idea. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, that, you know, I mean, that wasn't mentioned in the original, was it? No, no. So I, I think it's very brave thing to do to put something like that in a film in the 80s where, I mean, at that stage, early 80s, you're not going to see a lot of stuff like that, are you? No, no. Um, I think in 1982, they had to up the ante yeah, more. Yeah. Um, because Paul Schrader didn't really want to do a remake, no, did he? No. Um, of Cat People. Mm. So it's nineteen eighty two. So you kind of have to up it. You have to up the gore. You have to up the sex, mm. violence, all that business. Yeah. It's nineteen eighty two. You need to get an audience for this. The nineteen forty two style was a surprise hit mm. back then. Yeah. You know, um, it just wouldn't have worked in 1982. Turns out it was a box office slop, uh, slop, flop anyway. Mm. And you couldn't have Irina committing those crimes mm. because she's our sympathetic lead. Yeah. You can't have her going around killing people. So that's why you had to, his name's Paul, isn't it? I yeah. keep calling him Malcolm McDowell. So you had to have Paul there to commit all these acts so we mm. can get our gore quota, mm. our sex quota as well, to be fair. Yeah. You know, he has his sex scenes. You had to have him there to up that and to be an antagonist. And also to make up for, you know, the the, the time that had to be added on. Because an hour and ten minute film mm. yeah. wouldn't have worked in 1982. Mm-hmm. So you had to have that extra time mm. The only way to do that and still keep Irina, you know, interesting but also sympathetic mm-hmm. is to introduce that character. Yeah. That's how I felt. And Malcolm McDowell plays the shit out of that. Oh, he, he is so good. You can tell he's loving it. Yeah, he, he's he, more you similar. You can tell he loves a character like he, that. He's quite so. similar to his uh, Clockwork Orange yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so that, um, I mean, we're not going to compare those two because they're completely different characters, but we, we had to go, you know, we had to mention them because they're major characters yeah, to the plot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so overall, 
I do prefer the remake, but I feel like I do need to watch the original again because talking about it um, for the second time within 24 hours with a completely different film, talking about something because it changed my opinion on it. And I, I do really, uh, you know, it's... It is a horror classic. There's no way around that. You know, it, it is. And I appreciate everything it did for the genre. Um, I'm going to say for now, remake. But I, my opinion might change in the future. I do need to rewatch it again. You have a very opposite... Yeah, I like a film that does what it does. And it does it very well. Mm. The original Cat People is a film that wants us to be on the edge of our seats Mm. that wants us to question the sanity of our main character Irina and also question our own perceptions as you know as to what is a monster you know um you people who go into that film expecting a monster movie Mm. you know what is a monster well who the fuck knows you know Mm -hmm. um and I think it does that very well. I think it's incredibly stylish, um, incredibly suspenseful. Um, I think it's full of symbolism um, in terms of potentially, you know, LGBT, um, but also a woman's place mm. in, in the 1942 world. Um, all of that is just... You could sit there and read about it and read into it massively. And I love a film that does that, especially when it also does something else so well, which is be suspenseful, be tense, you know, and be a, a horror film. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's fantastic. I just think it's wonderful. Has it aged incredibly? No, not really. Um but for 1942, I think it's a, a ph- phenomenal achievement. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big achievement in filmmaking, for sure. Whereas in the 1982 film, I really enjoyed, but I enjoyed more because I liked the over-the-topness. Mm. And I, I liked um, the, the sleaziness to it, and I, I, I enjoyed all that, and I loved the soundtrack, and... I love the way it looked and the way the film felt, but I can't delve too deeply into it. Yeah. Because I, I think it's slightly a more superficial film, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is why the original, for me, is just slightly better. I, I, I don't... There's not much in it, don't get me wrong, but I do believe the original is better. Well, that is a first for Horror Cool Trash Over. Yes. <laughs> One all for both cat people. So who wins? It's arm wrestle. Oh, God. Okay, well, we're just going to call it... A, well, it's just separate opinions. I suppose the remake does win because the poll on Instagram... Well, I mean, did, yeah. ...did vote. The, the people, the people... The people voted. And, you know, let it not be said <laughs> that Horror Cool Trash Over isn't a democracy... But just watch them both. I just, yeah, just watch, watch them both. both. Also watch the sequel to the original film. Yeah, if you want to watch the original, it's on BBC iPlayer. Yeah. It's, it's free on BBC iPlayer if you're in the UK. Yeah. Um, if not, I can't help you. But in the UK, BBC iPlayer, and you can rent the remake on Amazon yeah. Prime. And the sequel, is, uh, to, yeah. The Curse of the Cat People, which uh, by all accounts is a ghost film. 
Oh. Not even, you know, about... But it has the same uh, lead actor and actress. Oh. Yeah, same characters, um, but she's a ghost. It's more of a ghost film. So that would be an interesting hmm. watch too. So, this brings us on to our best and worst of the month. Um, <laughs> I'm sure we've got a mutual honourable mention that's not the best or worst. <laughs> Maybe most disappointing. But we'll go with best and worst first. Um, I will jump in and say my best was Miracle Mile. This film I literally knew nothing about. Absolutely nothing about it. It was a blind buy. Um, it just looked cool. I knew it was 80s. Um, you know, I saw the artwork. It looked great. And I thought I'd give it a go. I watched it. We, we, we watched it knowing nothing about it. And I was blown away. Absolutely blown away. It's It made it into my favourite films of all time immediately. It was just phenomenal. It, it's, it's so, so fucking good. Um, I don't want to go into why. Because if you're going to watch it, um, based on my recommendation, I'd rather you watch it the same way I did. Because that is the best way to watch it. That film. is actually the best way to watch it. Just go into blind, really. It's hard to even put a genre on it. It's just... It's perfection. I, I honestly think... It is up there with some of the best films of the 80s, by far. Um, I mean, I also watched some other great stuff, you know, like Interstellar, Drop Dead Gorgeous, uh, Cabaret. But Miracle Mile, for me, just shot to the top of that list. And my worst of the month is Pigs. <sighs> also known as Daddy's Deadly Little Darling or some stupid shit like that. I know about 5,000 other names. Satan's Daughter or whatever the fuck it's called. It was... Dire. It is a. It is an hour and twenty minutes of people talking about pigs eating people and not enough footage of pigs eating people. It is fucking stupid. It's boring. It's just boring. It's nothing happens in it. It's so dull. It, so dull. So bad. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'll let you say your best and worst, and then we'll uh, talk about something else. To so my worst, I completely agree with you. Pigs. It was dire. Mm. so boring really really boring uh, cure for insomnia um, and it's quite funny Gary put pigs on and we were like just that that was terrible that was real shameful uh, and Gary was like okay I need to put on two films two great films for you to make up for that <laughs> and they were fantastic and it was Whiplash and Nightcrawler both from 2014 uh, and I just thought they were both really really good films they're yeah. incredibly good yeah two of my favourite films yeah yeah and uh, I'm sure you, I'm sure you've heard of them um, um, but if you haven't seen them I'd recommend watching them yeah, yeah. fantastic um, so th we're recording on a Thursday which is very unusual for the original versus remake we usually uh, it's normally a Wednesday or a Tuesday we record on but we recorded specifically on the first day because cinema's back. We're back to the cinema. Um, we we saw Onward on on Sunday, which is near or Saturday, whenever it was. We watched Empire Strikes Back on the big screen, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then last night we postponed recording this episode because we thought this would be our film of the month. <laughs> last oh. night we went to watch Tenet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's not awful. It's a good film. You can't say it's not a good film. It's it's good. <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> it's the epitome, for me, of style over substance. Yeah. 
it looks fantastic. The visual effects are fantastic. That's like we were saying about a cat. It's a technical, it's a technical marvel. Yeah. You know, it, the filmmaking at hand is phenomenal. It's it's out of this world. But when you are a two and a half hour film, that only gets you so far. And to me, um, I had issues with characterization. I had issues with dialogue. The dialogue felt weird. Mm. Um, it felt like people were like not talking to each other it it was weird it's hard to describe it, it's strange it, it's it didn't very feel natural. strange it didn't the interactions between people did not feel natural in the film um a lot's been said about the characterization of women in christopher nolan's films and this does absolutely nothing to help that it's worse this it's, is, this it's, is sort it of actually his worst. makes it worse this is sort of his worst yeah. uh, female character writing yet um but every character suffers because i've spent two and a half hours with these people and i don't know them yeah there's, there's i don't no, know who these people it are. honestly feels like he was making it up as he went along he, like he was writing it he had this great idea i'll throw this in but didn't bother to put any of it in order um, uh, and it, it's honestly, it's a case of Christopher Nolan just thinking he's clever and, you know, uh, trying to trying to be confusing. And it, it was just... overcomplicated. A lot of the dis when characters describe this whole time travel, I'm still not sure what it is, or back to front bullets or whatever. Um, all that stuff, that theory, it just felt so convoluted mm. and unnecessarily so i felt thick when i got out there because i was like i have no idea what's going but on that's the thing you know you can have a complicated film and and have a good film i mean david lynch is my favorite director of all time uh i could explain to you a david lynch film clearly and i could a tenor and that is saying something david lynch has complicated parts of his films mm. and TV series, you know, Twin Peaks. I don't think I got all of that, mm. um, but I got enough of it for me to enjoy myself. Mm. Rather, and it wasn't someone stood there talking for about twenty minutes, going on about something, and it making it just no. It sounded sense. like words. It got to the point where it just sounded like words. Yeah, it was it, just. Mm. Just went on and on. Yeah, the film went on and on. It felt yeah. so long. Yeah, you feel every second of that two and a half hours, and and you get people, uh, you know, people on the internet are saying, "Don't, don't try and understand it. Just feel it. Get the fuck out of it. Why the fuck will I go and watch a film to not understand it? That is bullshit. That is absolute bullshit." Yeah, because and what, what are you gonna feel? I felt bored. I, I felt frustrated. But it's not. It's not there to be deciphered as like like i was saying about cat people where there's lots of layers to mm. it there's lots of symbolism there's a lot of allegory tenet didn't have that as far as i knew no no i, I didn't if, get anything if from it, it was then i certainly went over my head mm. so when these things are over complicated it's over complicated because i'm clearly thick not because I need to look at the layers of what's happening mm. or what's being said and what that means. That's how I felt. Yeah. So I've, I, I left it feeling a bit dumb. I was like, was I meant to get that? Mm. So yeah, that's our rant <laughs> on Tenet. Something we agree on this episode. Um, 
<laughs> oh no, I, I genuinely thought Chris was going to give it like half a star when we... Like, I've oh never seen God. Chris so angry after a film. I just got so fed up. I was just, I was so fed up by the end of it. Um, that, yeah, I just, I didn't think it was going to end. I genuinely... It's a lot of false endings. It, it has a lot of false endings. It, like, every, every time you think it's about to end, it's like, oh, here's another hour. I think it's going to be funny, but by the, the sort of two hour point, you, you've run out of your drink, you've got no food left, so you just sat there, and if you're not enjoying the film, it just feels so long. Mm. Yeah. So, that's Tenet. Anyway, um, that's, Tenet. <laughs> that's our episode on Tenet. So, uh, we have an announcement before we end this episode. Uh, we have been lucky enough to be given a press pass for the BFI London Film Festival this year. Uh, so this means we will be covering the films that we'll be watching at BFI Festival. Uh, we'll be releasing two bonus episodes in October covering what we're watching. Yes, this is us trying to go legit, are we? Uh, this, is, this is us going to other. Are we being posh? Are um, we up market? Well, let's, let's not say that because people might stop listening. <laughs> um, so, I mean, obviously we're horror called trash other. We rarely dive into other this is our chance. We, you know, we've been given passes to, uh, you know, one, the the main film festival in the UK. Yeah. Um, so we're going to take advantage of that, and you know, hopefully, we're still making a fun episode, fun episodes, uh, and plus, it's released in October, where we're releasing a total of about eight episodes. Um, so plenty, plenty of our voices to to keep you entertained and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plenty of film recommendations to get you through the month. Um, so, yeah, so we're really, really excited about that. Yeah, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And and, and interesting, too, you know, films we can uh, really get our teeth into. Yeah. Sink our teeth into. So, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, we're doing Fright Fest Digital this weekend. Which should be fun. That's next month's best and worst, maybe sorted. Well, we're still in August, so this is difficult. I mean, we may have to do it on Tuesday's episode. Well, I always do it as in in between. So I I don't do this as my... If if I watch something, because obviously this is released before the end of the month. If I watch something on the 30th that's dog shit, Mm -hmm. I will mention it in the next episode. Yeah. But, I mean, we do have a special guest next week. Yeah, you have nothing to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, wait for you to tell me. Oh, but do you not know? No. Oh, so um, on Tuesday's episode, we will be discussing Tammy and the T-Rex. And we will be joined by Cameron from Killer Flicks to discuss this Denise Richards masterpiece. Paul Walker as well. But it's, it's Denise Richards and the T-Rex. Of Denise course Richards. Gonna... Yeah, but Paul Walker is the T-Rex. Oh, is he really? Wow, <laughs> I didn't know if, if I remember correctly, Paul Walker is the T-Rex. So this should be very fun. <laughs> it should be very funny. It would be fantastic to have a guest on the episode as well. We've yes. never had one before. No. And um, it's, it's just, just the beginning as well. We've got, we've got some more guest episodes coming up. Yes. And, yeah, so exciting times here at Oracle Treasurer. i uh, made a lot of progress since last month. So, yeah, we're just... Being a little more elaborate now, should we say. Um, so, yeah, so talk to us on social media. Uh, let us know what you think of Cat People Original Remake. You know, want to talk about the comparisons and whatnot. Get them in. We'll talk about it on Tuesday if we get loads in. 
We are Horror Cool Trash Ever on Facebook and Instagram, Horror Cool Trash on Twitter. Follow on Spotify if you like what you're listening to. Again, Spotify's doing fantastic. Uh, so, welcome, Spotify listeners. Quite fresh to Spotify now, and people are catching up, I see. Uh, if you're on iTunes... We love to see it. We do. iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Like and follow on anything else. Uh, I am Gazmo205 on Instagram, GazCruise92 on Twitter, and DeadAtGaz92 on Letterboxd. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram. Is that the one I missed? I think, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> the usual social media platforms. So we will see you on Tuesday. Bye.